Inside the Post-Dispatch. Welcome to the Inside the Post-Dispatch podcast. I'm Liz Miller. I'm Beth O'Malley. And today we are very excited to welcome Kelsey Landis to the podcast. Uh, Kelsey is a St. Louis County government reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Prior to joining the Post in July of 2022, Kelsey was a reporter at the Belleville News Democrat, covering politics and writing watchdog stories. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited. We are. Me too. <laughs> um, now that that awkwardness is out of the way. <laughs> yeah, no, we can just hop right into it. Um, so first, tell us a little bit about the work you do at The Post. What does a normal work week look like for you? And kind of give our, listener, our listeners a sense of how you do your job. Sure, sure. So uh, I cover St. Louis County government, which uh, St. Louis County is the um, yeah, the biggest as far as population goes. And it's one of, you know, often referred to as the economic engine of Missouri. Uh, and therefore, it's also uh, often a um, guinea pig for statewide policies. Like there might be a bill that passes at the, at the legislature that the state that St. Louis County uh, is perhaps the first to try to implement. Uh, we'll talk about an example later. And Therefore, it's a pretty big government to cover. Uh, and that's what I do. So uh, the legislative body for, for St. Louis County is a seven-member uh, county council that really has control over spending. They have some control over uh, county policies and political direction. And there's a four-person majority of Democrats and uh, three per, uh, three Republicans on this council. And then the um, county executive uh, who is a Democrat. And so my week to week looks at, you know, essentially a Democratic supermajority that has its own factions within it, uh, competing against more conservative voices on the council. And a lot of it just getting shut down by the county executive because he has uh, a little more power. Um, in a In a week, you know, my week kind of starts on Friday because that's when the county council agenda comes out and I read it, see what's happening for the next week. And usually, you know, I may write a story on Friday ahead of the Tuesday meeting for the next week. And so my week is is really front loaded. So on Monday is really when county business starts to ramp up ahead of the Tuesday night meeting. There might be some committee meetings uh, on Tuesday before the regular meeting. And and then uh, the rest of the week is spent following up on whatever happened on Tuesday and maybe trying to get some enterprise uh, stories in there. That's great. Well, and again, for listeners unfamiliar, can you kind of walk us through, and I don't even want to say a typical county council meeting, but uh, a typical county council meeting. <laughs> yeah, they've gotten more typical. I think they were typical up until the pandemic and then St. Louis County Council became these meetings, you know, became known to be packed full of uh, conspiracy theorists, activists, um, you name it. I mean, these were wild and I didn't cover it at that time. So I'm um, uh, but I I followed it. And uh, since the you know, these meetings would last hours during the pandemic with people who were uh, either opposed to or supporting the county's masks, mask mandates and their COVID policies. And there's these long, sprawling, chaotic public comment periods. That has quieted down 
So they're pretty boring <laughs> legislative meetings for the most part now with the occasional um, the occasional issue thrown in there. You do have a couple of members of the county council who are, uh, one, running for re-election or running for a higher office. So we're seeing a bit more issues-based legislation coming through, um, kind of virtue signaling to voters saying, hey, vote for me when you see my name on the ballot next year. So that's making things a little more political and interesting. But for the most part now, after the pandemic, these meetings have quieted down to half an hour, whereas they might have been three hours before, you know. Um, and what else? I mean, yeah, they're, they're pretty procedural now. Mm-hmm. And I know for some readers, they might hear, oh, government meetings and that type of thing. But the coverage that you've been doing is not like, here's what they said at the meeting necessarily. Um, Can you tell us, especially with some of the recent coverage about um, open carry of guns and some other things, how do you make it more than just a meeting? Yeah, yeah, I think this is something that really started a trend that started for me personally, professionally at the Belleville News Democrat, where we moved away from as, you know, as newsrooms downsized, we had to make choices about what we were covering and in some cases, I feel like we're doing the readers a favor by not covering, you know, yeah. you know, ABC, this is what happened, you know, and in other business, they did this and this and this when no one, very few people really care because they want to know how it impacts their lives. Right. So that's always the approach that I take. There are times when we just write something, you know, but um, for the most part, we try to take the focus of what do people care about? and what happened in this meeting that will directly impact them. And if it's not, you know, going to directly impact them, we might not write about it until it does. So there's a couple of issues that are um, ongoing right now. You mentioned the gun control issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's legislation brought by the the head of, this, of the county council, Shalonda Webb, who's a Democrat from unincorporated North County. And she saw what the uh, what St. Louis was doing to sort of respond to these high-profile instances of kids running around downtown St. Louis with guns, you know, mm. visi- visible. Um, and I'm not well versed in gun terminology, but you know, automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons that are, you know, it's really frightening to people even if you don't you know we work downtown i've never seen anybody walking around with one of these guns you know but i've seen it on social media so that scares you right like you know you think about it and i think that it you know it, it frightened politicians too because this is a visible a tangible thing that people who aren't from here are seeing, or maybe they live out, you know, out in the County and they're seeing this about downtown St. Louis. They don't want to come here, but then you did have a really uh, violent incident in June where a teenager was killed and 10 were injured. So care. So uh, alder woman, Kara Spencer, you know, that she had introduced this legislation before that incident happened in June in response to some of the images that were circulating on social media. Um, I mean, there was one, I, I forget when it was, but a poor guy was shot in the head just a couple blocks from the Post-Dispatch yeah. building, like mm-hmm. broad daylight. Yeah. And I think in response to that, you know, the city, or Kara, Kara Spencer, who's... um a Democrat from Marine Villa, I think the Marine Villa neighborhood. Marine Villa neighborhood. 
wanted to do something. I mean, she told me this when I called her about. um, And and so she introduced this legislation that would try to sort of regulate, you know, open carry of weapons if you don't have a concealed carry permit, which state law, she argues, allows um, local governments to do. So in the long, back to the county. So the St. Louis County saw that the city doing this, and uh, you know, uh, Shalanda Webb is from an area of the county where they see gun violence, and um, yeah, you know, I'm not sure the data on that, the statistics on that, but she sees this as enough of a concern in her area that she is considering doing something similar. So she sent out a press release. A week ago announcing it and um, I talked to her legislative assistant last night who told me that you know we she hasn't nailed down the details they have to talk to the county attorneys she's trying to gain some bipartisan support uh, from the council so it's not just broken down along party lines Democrats and Republicans she really wants to get Republicans on board is what I'm told and uh, in a couple of weeks, weeks, we should see some legislation coming forth on that. I think the argument that she would probably make is this is the, what Kara Spencer did is basically the extent that munis that local governments have in Missouri to enact any form of gun control. Like this is about it. You know, right. the 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 Democrat, the more progressive Democrats on the council might might say that they might say. Uh, well, this doesn't really do anything. This is pointless. We would like to see more. It's like, well, go talk to the legis- the state legislature. Go talk to the governor about that, and good luck. Um, so I could see this having some good bipartisan support in the county, although uh, there has already been some opposition from one of the Republicans, Councilman Mark Carter, who is from Baldwin, who has said that he will oppose anything that infringes on uh, uh, St. Louis County residents' Second Amendment rights. Could you talk also a little bit more about what exactly the legislation in the city does? And and that's the same basic idea that Shalanda Webb is hoping to bring to the county. Right. And to be clear, I'm not exactly sure what uh, Chair Webb wants to do in the county. She right. just mentioned Kara Spencer's legislation in her press release. So... Um, We'll see. But okay. if it is something similar, which I suspect it probably will be, given there's only a certain number of things that local governments can do in Missouri. I So there were two bills in the city. Uh, the first one was from Kara Spencer, and it essentially restricts the open carry of guns. So a police officer can stop someone and ask them to show... Um, you know, maybe they're open carrying downtown and they and a police officer could ask that person to show that um, their concealed carry card. Um, I th- I'm not exact. I think it I, th- I think there's potentially some like search rights involved. I'm not exactly sure what happened. I think they can take their gun or, or arrest them if they don't have their concealed carry, um, which is controversial <laughs> in and of itself, because. You know, it's primarily young black teens who are um, pictured in these images. So there's some concerns about profiling. To address that, there was a second bill in the city from Alderman Rasheen Aldridge of Old North St. Louis, the Old North St. Louis neighborhood, who said that if a police, you know, this bill, which was also 
passed and signed says that if a police officer stops someone, they also have the obligation to educate them um, on their civic rights and also on laws um, uh, regulating open carry of weapons. So that's what it does in the city. And in theory, that could be the same application could be applied in, in the county. All right. Uh, Well, Kelsey, so kind of switching gears here a little bit, we also wanted to talk to you about another story that is ongoing that you've been covering in recent weeks. Your last update was published on July 24th and titled, Here's What's Next for the Senior Property Tax Break Law in Missouri. Uh, Kelsey, if you could please give listeners a quick overview of this issue and where it stands today, including the proponents and opponents and their views on it. Sure. So this bill came about from a sort of grassroots group uh, that, that special it's, it's called Missouri Tax Relief now and that's what they do is they seek tax relief for uh, Missouri residents not just in St. Lu- the St. Louis region but across the state there's sort of this special interest group that approached that worked with the legislature the state legislature to pass this law that allows counties in Missouri to opt in to a measure that would provide property tax relief to senior homeowners. So in the case of this law, they can freeze a senior homeowner's property tax. So it might be assessed at, you know, um, the, you know, their, their property might be at a certain value this year, but then in two years when it's reassessed, this bill or this law would uh, cap would would freeze their property tax so they wouldn't be paying more. So the idea is that you keep seniors in their homes. They're not priced out of of paying, you know, their property taxes, which is a real problem. I talked to to folks in St. Louis County as part of my reporting for the story who said, "Yeah, we're we're paying with we're paying bills with the uh, our credit cards because we just got our property tax bill and we're getting ready to pay it." You know, it really sucks, and that's what this bill, uh, that's what this law um, was aimed at. However, critics said that it really passed the buck onto local governments and forced them to reckon with the details of implementing such a plan, which is complicated for logistical reasons. You know, how do you know if someone's eligible? Do you have this application process? You know. How do we give it? There's a lot of questions. Anyway, the state said, you deal with it. And the county said, okay, also, we're going to be losing, you know, potentially millions of dollars in tax revenue. Mm -hmm. On top of that, this is the reason it ultimately failed in St. Louis County, which this is the example of St. Louis County being the guinea pig for the state legislature's laws. Um, St. Louis County... Rejected it because, in part, it would benefit the people who actually who really need it, the the seniors who are really at risk of being priced out of their homes, and it would also benefit to those who aren't the super wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. Ledoux, uh seniors who like you know maybe they did some really big fancy job their whole lives and they have no problem paying their property taxes, which. It's up to you whether you think it's fair or not. That's that's why the council rejected it largely. 
Yeah, I do wonder were there discussions about the income disparity that would affect people across the county and how that could maybe be written into a different version. I know that maybe it's headed for a different path now, but was that at all a conversation that there could be maybe like an income or a, I shouldn't say income, a a property tax cap that say that if yours is above that, then Mm -hmm. just the same way that a lot of social services you're not eligible for if you make a certain income, um, that you wouldn't be eligible to apply for this tax cut or freeze, however. Yeah, yeah, it's called a means test, which is like a really really like bureaucratic uh, term for it. But um, don't put that in the headline. No no means test. No one knows what you're talking about. Uh, no, there, that is really common, and it's it very there's it's common in other states that have similar laws. Uh, there's usually then and you know I haven't looked at every single one of these, and there's a lot of local measures too. But in the ones that I could find, well, let's put it this way: I could only find one example where there was no means test. There's usually some sort of requirement, you know, eligibility requirement tied to your wealth, and. That yeah, that's that's not the case here. The the Democrats on the St. Louis County Council were like, yeah, I love this idea if we can make sure that we're not subsidizing millionaires, right? But the way that the state law is written, according to the attorneys for the county council, like the county that interpreted this for them, the way that the state law is written, it really allows no wiggle room for local governments to change it. So that was not an option. So they shot it down. So there was wiggle room in terms of would there be an application? Yeah. Like, how yeah. exactly to implement it in terms of the logistics, but not in the um, broad outlines of you, you freeze everybody or you freeze nobody. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the freezing part of the law said this this is all or nothing. And so the the council rejected it, but it's my understanding it's not quite wholly dead yet. Yeah, yeah. So baked into the law is a provision that would allow voters to pass it through a ballot referendum. So, you know, you go to the you go to the polls in November or whenever and you see this question on there and you can say yes or no. Uh, that's an option. However, it, it, the signature gathering requirements are pretty uh uh, complicated um, according you know everybody this is another thing everybody disagrees on how many signatures so there's probably a lawsuit in there somewhere and there's probably a lot of lawsuits in there as, as usual but while they're figuring this the the proponents of it are figuring this out the people the the lobbyists who are opposed to this plan School district, you know, school district lobbyists, mm-hmm. um, local government lobbyists who don't want to see already strapped budgets even further restricted by a loss of property tax. Those folks are going back to the state legislature to lobby them to make changes to the original law. So that could mean stripping the ballot referendum part of this law. That could mean adding restrictions to it maybe a means test our favorite phrase of the day (laughs) (laughs) hey i'm excited i learned something yeah that's right Uh, so so we don't really know it's not exactly dead but things rarely die in government they just sort of go back to the drawing board and get forgotten about (laughs) and you you briefly raised this but the county 
council would have approved this and then it would have impacted all of the taxing bodies in St. Louis County. Right. Which, you know, the county council doesn't have any oversight over school boards, for example. Schools set their own property taxes. So it would have been like one vote for all of these different groups right. who are now, I'm sure, were they going? Were those different groups also talking to the county council and saying, please don't? Or were they, they were. saying this is fine? No, yeah, they were. They oh. were. They There were lobbyists from both, not, you know, paid lobbyists, but people who lobbied the council from both sides, you know, local school districts who said, we don't want you to do this. And also we think it's illegal because you don't have the right to set, the county council does not have the right to set our tax rate. Mm-hmm. So that was one argument, which was like, in code, we're going to sue you. Like, <laughs> I mean, no one actually said that, but I, that's the writing on the wall was this will end up in the courts. Right. Yeah. Well, because what is the, you know, were there any um, discussions about what happens if this had theoretically passed, then this could maybe, I don't know, bankrupt a school district or severely, you know, um, limit their ability to public or a public school to, um, continue yeah i think that the impact that i'm told would like specifically for school districts that would have happened the impact would have been that they wouldn't have been able to give teachers raises that they wanted to and that's a very serious issue yeah we're in a staffing crisis in a lot of different industries exactly yeah you've got to offer those raises that's what they said would have happened it wouldn't have bankrupted any like no one like school districts are usually they you know they they get their funding they're they're you know 60 percent of your tax bill goes but but they wouldn't have had what they expected they wouldn't have lost anything from this but they wouldn't have gotten what they expect to get So you'd still be on the hook for what you paid, say, this year, but in future years, if the assessment were to rise as they have, seeming year over year, Mm -hmm. that would not impact you. You essentially would get a credit. Yeah. Like you and the counties could have decided how to do that, too. And by the way, other counties are looking at this. Yeah, it's technically a tax credit. Like, so you would, you you know, the county, it's wild. Like the county could have sent you a bill for the full, you know, the full amount of your assessment that year. Uh, based on your assessment that year and then you know sent you a check in six months and said here's the difference you know so there's just a variety of different ways that a county could have done or they could have said okay we'll give you the tax credit up front here's how much you have to pay us but yeah the the value of your home does not freeze but the assessment does that although that does bring up another question to me which is if the home is registered and Mm -hmm. then it is sold then do you have to submit paperwork as a new home buyer to make sure that you're not i think that happens automatically like when it's sold they have to change the ownership in the tax files as Mm -hmm. well so like it's all part of that process when you sign all that paperwork when you sell the house yeah yeah like 50 pages yeah well and that brings the question of like how do people qualify for this because the assessor doesn't have access to your age. social security status and your age. So in other places I've seen there be like an application. So obviously the new homeowner would not be eligible. Right. To, yeah. Though they could apply, I guess they would hopefully get rejected. <laughs> and you, you said earlier that the means test was basically not to the way that the council read or had interpreted for them state law legal to have eligibility for some, but not for everyone. Is that right? And I guess my question, if that is correct, is have you heard any conversation about wanting to take that 
to the Capitol. They might. Let, yeah. yeah, it's it's as far as I know, it is all under consideration. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We could see it come back. Well, and it's it's another example of you know Jefferson City uh, legislators do a lot of work and have a lot of hearings, but then the, at the practical level, does the law work mm-hmm. um, or? It's working the way it was in it it's a it's a feature not a bug mm-hmm. it's working the way it was intended yeah um and that is you know the responsibility on the local governments mm-hmm. um, right so yeah yeah i mean we're seeing this play out potentially in st charles county soon um we're seeing it play out in a couple of other counties throughout the state so We'll see if it happens. You know, it could happen somewhere else, if not in St. Louis County. Yeah. I was surprised. You know, I was sharing your stories about this on Nextdoor and a few other social media places, and people were heavily invested oh, in yeah. it. A lot of readers, a oh, lot yeah. of comments. Are there other topics that, you know, you've written about that surprised you at, you know, the buttons that they pressed? Yeah, I think... I think, well, just this morning, I was looking at our, our readership, uh, our data page that shows where, you know, what people are reading. And of course, the story that I spent like three hours on yesterday writing, you know, was nowhere near the top of the readership. But the thing, the brief that I wrote that took me 10 minutes about the county banning smoking in parks was like right up there with cardinals coverage which is saying something and it's it's getting a lot of comments like i i we i saw that headline and i was like smoking in parks okay so people don't smoke in parks people are like how dare you yeah Yeah. well but it makes sense to me i guess i have had family members who are smokers Mm -hmm. and i do wonder if it's this sometimes there can be and i'm just saying this from my own experience from people who i have known personally but a feeling of being pushed out of spaces. Mm-hmm, and so outdoor spaces were one, maybe the only, uh, in many neighborhoods that might have still felt like a place that they could legally do this. Yeah. And so the ire, the hackles raising of now that is also off limits. Like, so, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, whatever your opinion on that is for, you know, for good or for ill, um, I do think that pieces like that end up being talkers because... I'm not a smoker, so this doesn't, I don't feel like this affects me in a day-to-day way. I don't think mm-hmm. about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. But if you are, it does. And so, yeah. you know, That's, you're going yeah. to Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing that this uh, bill does, it's a bill until the county executive signs it, but it also adds marijuana to the to the list of, of uh, activities, of um Substances yeah. <laughs> that are considered like smokable. So that's added. If you're smoking marijuana, that is now like. <laughs> Does I sound like a total nerd? No, I'm just I'm just laughing at like our new reality. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh right, pot's legal now. Yeah. What right. do we do about that? Right, right, right. Um. So yeah, now you cannot. You could, I guess, consume a gummy at a park, but you can't. You can't do. You can't like smoke a joint on your hike anymore. In a yeah. county park. Yeah, I guess Which I'm sure people do. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I hadn't even thought about that. That shows you what a nerd I am. I was just like, I guess it's nothing. But I, it is just like smoking like a joint. Yeah, or, and yeah. vaping too. Vaping is okay, on the list. Okay, sure. That's yeah. within so that too. It's, um, I mean, I think you see this all started, you know, this started with the new uh, St. Louis County Health Department director who wanted... You know, she started in January and she, I think, really wanted to make an impact on smoking because she sees it 
tobacco sale, tobacco addiction in particular negatively impacting uh, certain parts of the county, uh, north and south county, particularly, particularly high tobacco consumption rates that, you know, exacerbate health problems in, in those communities. And we saw her trying to make a difference here and and she wanted to ban the the health department in general the administration there wanted to ban smoking in casinos which is one of the exceptions along with like bowling alleys mm-hmm. and a handful of bars and restaurants where you can still smoke inside they you know wanted to remove the exception for uh, casinos that ultimately failed that was in the original bill but then this bill that you know regulates smoking at county parks or bans it was what was left. So this was kind of the compromise. I think you see the county, I'm sorry for your relatives who feel left <laughs> out, but this is the, really the only place that the county can can have control over yeah. over this politically. It makes me think of, a, it's a, this is a very St. Louis reference, and one I hope that I have not Mandela affected into existence, but the dirt cheap slogan in the 90s that was like the last refuge of the persecuted smoker <laughs> that lives in my my, yeah. my mind uh yeah. rent See, free. I went immediately to cheap cheap fun, fun. Cheap, cheap, well fun, fun. that that's i think where they are now um but yeah i just remember in the, the 90s when i was a kid i would hear family members say like darn straight that's not that's not what they said listeners but you can put it together (laughs) um and i when i saw that headline this morning that was my first thought was the last refuge of persecuted interesting well i came from illinois and i was on it when i moved to st louis i've lived in the st louis area since 2016 and when i came here honestly i was shocked because i went to saratoga lanes Mm -hmm. in maplewood and i was like should like they're smoking like do the authorities know that they're smoking in here (laughs) Like, what is going on? I was shocked because yeah. there's the abs- casinos, you name, like absolutely nowhere in Illinois can you smoke anymore inside. And so I was like, wow, I was pretty surprised. But um, I'm old enough to mm-hmm. remember when people could still smoke in bars here. And mm-hmm. I moved uh, before that law changed in St. Louis. My first job out of college was in California. And I so the first time I had a beer in a bar, people were smoking. And I remember coming home and smelling like cigarettes and mm-hmm. needing to take a shower, right, and do laundry. And when I moved out to California, it was strange to me that it was like, oh, you just you just smell good all the time, I guess. That's a nice <laughs> change. Um, and then I moved back here and the law had changed. And uh, it's crazy how much you can get used to something mm-hmm. that like feels so like my whole life. You could smoke in restaurants and bars in St. Louis and mm-hmm. um, county. And uh, overnight that changes. And now it seems so alien to us that mm-hmm. you could smoke in a park. You know, yeah. I think like you've seen how quickly um, that legislation has. Yeah, I mean, here. I no, mean, some of the younger, the uh, younger generation um, that spoke at the county council meetings when they were considering this legislation was like, wait, people still smoke cigarettes? I mean, vaping, I think, is a much bigger thing. For right. Yeah. New yeah. Tobacco consumers. I've, I've seen that vaping and it's, it's not in that case, it's not tobacco. It's the nicotine. Yeah. So I think you see the ca- this being the county's attempt to uh, change their ordinances to accommodate legalized marijuana, and uh, also adding, you know, trying to accommodate for the health impact that we're seeing from vaping.
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I do wonder if we'll hear more about that. I know that there was also some discussion and you had obviously touched on how this was amended to not include casinos or other maybe indoor spaces. Um, I remember when that was still a piece of the proposed law that uh, on social media, people were very concerned about how it could impact like cannabis clubs that sounds positively oh, yeah. like early aughts of me to describe it that way, but like pot lounges, just, yeah, pot lounges, yeah. <laughs> whatever the kids are calling them. Um, which is interesting because we, you know, have this fairly new legalization in Missouri, and then to have legislation that would kind of almost immediately say, "Well, you can't really smoke in most public places," was not received well by some readers. Yeah, I mean, as far as pot lounges go, that I think there's a, I think there's a difference. There's a difference between people who think that in smoking cigarette tobacco cigarettes indoors is like absolutely disgusting but they have a higher tolerance for marijuana for some reason and i'm not sure if it's maybe the health effects of inhaling marijuana aren't as well known or because it hasn't been studied but anyway i think you see people having well there's a there's a pretty high tolerance for um like cigar clubs however this legislation doesn't ban pot lounges, but it doesn't allow for them. So the county council would have to uh, create separate legislation in order to uh, accommodate that. But I think for those two, it's also, I don't have to, I can walk by the cigar lounge. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go into the cigar exactly, lounge. Nobody's yeah. going to sit next to me at a restaurant and light up a cigar. On the other hand, somebody could, before this, somebody could sit down at the picnic bench next to me and light up a cigar. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I I think um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because like you but like you said, like the I went to a schnooks parking lot one day to write a story about how people were feeling about pot lounges because we had this legislation, this ordinance, this um, legislation from the council on smoking. And then we also had the the county uh, adjusting its um, zoning ordinances to accommodate for this potentially and people just aren't that bothered about the idea they're like well i hate smoking but i don't really care if other people want to do it you know it's a business and we get tax dollars from businesses so yeah and to your point with cigar cigar bars i think that it seemed like a lot of the reader response on social media was similar where it was like well i think these places should exist for people who want to do this i wouldn't patronize them necessarily and to beth's point i don't necess- i don't want someone to be able to sit next to me at a restaurant and be vaping uh whether it be weed or tobacco wow i sound like i'm you know <laughs> a dare representative of the post dispatch um but uh, there are a few things that make me feel older than talking about legal pot because i totally feel like i'm that old man being like back in my day yeah like oh it's just yeah um but anyway so uh we could probably chat about that and read a response to that all day kelsey yeah um i did want to before we wrap up ask you if you have any upcoming stories or uh that you'd like to tease or any stories that you would love to hear from readers about get feedback on and how they can reach you if so yeah yeah so as far as stories that i'm working on i think this concept of what people pay in taxes, what corporations pay in taxes. And we're seeing property taxes go up for a lot of residents, middle income who have pretty normal houses in the county, their assessments, you know, jumped up this year, and they're pretty mad about it, understandably. I'm working on a story, a couple of stories that looks deeper into those, that sort of feeling of resentment that 
you know, why am I having to pay so much? I'm just like the normal, you know, the little guy. Like, why do I have to, why am I seeing my assessment go up? I'm already having trouble staying on top of things as it is. So kind of looking into that feeling. And if people want to reach me uh, about that, they can probably email me. It's Landis L-A-N-D-I-S, at post-dispatch.com. And we're seeing that discussion take place as the county council shot down property tax relief for seniors, as the county council is considering millions of dollars in tax incentives for the Boeing company and a possible expansion in the county. And there's a lot of questions from people about what they what they get out of a deal like that for Boeing and why they're having to pay so much in their own property taxes at the same time that the county is facing a, de- a budget deficit. Exactly. Yeah. So that so I think going into the fall, we're going to see the the budget deficit conversation ramp up because uh, they are going to be starting the council will be considering if they're going to be making cuts as soon as you know early october and we're also going to see the discussion around boeing continue we'll have to have you back then although i do have to say um liz you've been awfully quiet about this but um today is going to be your last podcast (laughs) um it is yeah so i am leaving the post dispatch and so this will be the last episode of Inside the Post-Dispatch that Beth and I um, tackle together. Uh, I've loved being able to uh, chat with our reporters, photographers, uh, video folks over the past two years or two year, year and a half and some change that we've been doing this podcast. And, uh, you know, if I wasn't leaving for a, a gig that I think is maybe a little bit more aligned with my family needs, I would still be here because we do such amazing work. Uh, I am so, so proud to work alongside the award-winning, talented journalists um, on our team and to weekly be able to discuss that work and dig into it more deeply for readers and listeners here. So uh, while I won't be talking every week, which may be a relief to some of you, uh, I will still be listening and I will certainly still be reading. And uh, thank you, Beth, and also Kelsey yeah, for I'm know, so honored I got to, to join you before your departure and we're really going to miss you. Yeah, no. And um, I should also just say, you know, I'm this kind of stuff, talking about local government and kind of the ins and outs of the county council, I find fascinating. Um, so thank you for the work that you do because it strengthens the paper and is a vital and critical resource for our readers. And you have to sit through those meetings that, like, that's how I feel like. <laughs> I was trying to get at that earlier, that the county council right. meetings, I feel like, can be, I don't want to say painful, but, like, procedural and in that a little bit dry. I feel like yeah. re- a reporter motto could be, we sit through the boring stuff, but we make it interesting for so you. So you don't have to, yes. Yeah, well, when to. you were talking about pulling out enterprise stories from those notes, mm-hmm. to yeah. me, again, that gets at the core of what is so essential to yeah. the, about this work that, that you do, that the mm-hmm. journalists here do, which is that people's lives are busier than ever, more stressful than ever, they're having trouble paying their property tax, you know, whatever else um, is on their minds. The last thing they're going to do is sit down and read dry notes from a county council meeting that do, do, you know, those things do impact their lives, but they don't have the time for it. So you mm-hmm. being able to pull out the things that most affect them and their ability to live their lives and enjoy their lives and writing about it in a conversational and approachable way so they understand it is such a service and again gets at the heart of why I got into this and why it's such a privilege to be able to share the work you do here at the paper. Yeah, Thank you very much for saying that. 
Give me a boost to my day. Yeah. Well, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> Got to uh, say your goodbyes and be positive yeah. on the way out That's the door. our goal with every podcast, the boost to the reporter's day. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for Liz, having me. Liz, I will miss you. I will miss you too, Beth. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, if, if nothing else, um, I hope the podcast continues and, again, continues to be able to shine a light on the great work that's happening here and the, the great people who are doing that work. 